The eighth edition of the Flushing's Finest podcast starts right now. Little roller up along first, behind the back, it gets through Buckner, here comes Knight and the Mets win it! Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center, Andrew Jones on the run, this one has a chance, home run by Piazza, and the Mets lead 3-2! to two. season, Johan Santana has thrown the first no-hitter in New York Mets history. He struck him out. Tears of joy for the 2015 New York Mets, National League Eastern Division champions. Deep left field, down the line, that ball is out of here, out of here. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Flushing's Finest Podcast. I am your host, Josh Marlowe. Alongside me today is Anthony Pagnotta. We're here to talk about the first, I guess, full week of Mets baseball, which is officially in the books. The Mets have played their first, uh, or they've completed their first road trip of the year, uh, playing four with the Marlins and then three with the Brewers. And then yesterday they returned back home to City Field a day later. Their home opener was supposed to be on Thursday. That got rained out, got pushed back to Friday. Um, as, as the Mets are now back at home, they're hosting the Marlins this weekend. And Kodai Singa will be on the mound later today in game two of three against Miami. And, you know, buddy, we, we entered, we entered the season with a lot of hope, a lot of expectations, um, that somewhat got derailed with the Edwin Diaz's injury. Of course, he's going to miss the entire 2023 season with that Achilles injury. When you look, though, you know, when you look at the very first week of the season, that even got started off with a guy going on the IL and Justin Verlander with, uh, uh, with, with, with a strain to his arm and stuff like that. When you look back on the first week of the season, and you know Steve Cohen said yesterday that you know he can't, he's not going to allow one week to judge his excitement or you know his concerns off of just a week of baseball. When you look back at the first week of the season, kind of kind of put into terms how you feel about this Met team that enters this season with the hopes and the promise of winning a World Series championship. Uh, so I mean, okay. I guess we should we should do this like a like one like one word, and I would guess my word at this point would be unsure. Um, and it's in large part due to the injuries that this team is is still going to be working through. I, I think at this point, it's just time to admit that this is going to be one of these types of years where there are, are going to be a ton of injuries that the Mets are going to have to navigate through. Um, we've seen it before. Hopefully it isn't going to be like 09, but that's the season that a lot of people have drawn comparisons to. And you're seeing all these different guys that are getting banged up early in the year. I mean, Verlander before the season even starts. Omar Narvaez now is out injured. And I mean, that one's not a devastating loss, but you were hoping that he was going to be able to give a little more time to Francisco Alvarez in the minors, 
that doesn't end up happening. You lose a bullpen pitcher in Tommy Hunter, although he got absolutely rocked in Milwaukee. So who really knows, you know, with, with him being on on the I.L., did the Mets get better in the bullpen with him not being out there? I mean, that's that's probably a conversation to have. But you got all those injuries. But at the same time, you got these moments against the Marlins where you feel like this team looks the part of the team that you thought we were going to see this year. Um, you know, Pete is off to a pretty good start to the season. Four home runs, eight RBIs already. I think Francisco Lindor has looked pretty good out of the gate. Um, but then there's other guys that are off to, you know, slower starts of the year than we were probably hoping for. Jeff McNeil's not hitting great out of the gate. That's sort of carrying over from what he did, you know, in, both in training camp and even when he was in the World Baseball Classic. And you're also seeing, you know, some struggles from Mark Hanna early on. So I, at this point, I think, it, 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 you know, for, for, this lineup, you're feeling uncertain about where things are going. And then it's the same for the pitching. You know, you you look at Max Scherzer, and, and he's he's looked solid, solid in the early parts of both starts. And then it's kind of just falling apart on him. And when it does, uh, it's turned into a bit of a disaster. Um, you know, Tyler McGill has been April Tyler McGill. He's been really good. Uh, and Kodai Senga's provided a little bit of promise, but everybody else, you know, Carrasco really struggled in his first start. His velocity was down. That probably has a lot of people concerned. And then David Peterson, um, you know, good first outing and then really struggled in his second outing. So, uh, you know, that even even that, an area, the, the, the starting pitching where we thought the Mets will be one of the, the the best in the entire league. That's something that you shouldn't have to worry about. They're even having to be concerned about that. And then the bullpen, you know, they've had their ups and downs. I think it's been solid so far this year. Not great. I think there's a lot of promise there. But you, you're you're just hoping for all of these groups that they can just start to show a little more consistency and really start to get on a little bit of a roll. The good news is, though, is that the Mets aren't the only team that has high expectations this season that are feeling like this early in the year. Really, only one team has gotten off to a really good start to the year that has lofty expectations, and that's the Atlanta Braves. Everybody else has started real slow. Um or just, you know, they're kind of around 500, and that's where the Mets are. They're at 500, so it's not time to panic just yet. Yeah, I mean, if I had to use a one word, I would say I'm still steadfast into where I thought we were going to be entering the year because you've seen all the ingredients of a team that looks the part of a legitimate threat to win a NL East division title or a NL pennant. Um, with the way that, you know, they the way they looked yesterday at home, the way that they were just patient at the plate, they drew 12 walks to most in a nine-inning game since 1997. You got three home runs, uh, one each from the three guys that you need to hit. The, you need to see how hit the long ball, Marte, Lindor, then, of course, uh, Pete Alonzo. Um, and then the pitching, while it's been up and down, when it's on, you know, that was the big thing that really carried them at times a year ago. And if the Mets are going to win 100 games again and and, and want to go deep in October, it's going to be, you know, you, you know, you have to pitch well. So, um, you know, coming off the the sweep in Milwaukee, there was 
I guess just some angst to see this team to, to first off win, but to start playing winning baseball. And they did that yesterday. So through a week of the regular season, um, I'd say I'm steadfast to with where I was entering the year, which was the most excited I've been for a, a team that I support's regular season since 2015, 2016. You go back to opening day, of course, the Mets won in Miami, they improved to 41 and 21 all time on opening day, which is the best percentage and best winning percentage in Major League Baseball on opening day. They took three of four in Miami, and with yesterday's win, they're now they've been they've now taken four of five, picking up where they left off last year, where they were dominant inside the division. Then, of course, the the, the Mets went to Milwaukee and they got swept. And got outscored a combined twenty-six to six, losing the first two games a combined nineteen to nothing, before getting swept in the in, in game three, losing seven to six on a walk-off home run. Um, and then, of course, yesterday the Mets at home in City Field for the first time, they won the home opener. They're now eleven and four in home openers at City Field. And 41 and 21 overall in home openers. So it's not just opening day where the Mets thrive. The Mets thrive at home as well, whether it's opening day or at a later point in the year for their home opener, um, whether and whether that's been played now in City Field or, of course, back when they played in the legendary Shea Stadium. Let's go back to Miami. And let's go back to last Sunday because we got a chance to see Kodai Singa make his first official start in the orange and blue when he pitched five and one-third innings, allowing just one run on three hits. He had eight strikeouts against three walks. Um, he did see all four of his uh, first batters reach base before he really settled in and found a, a rhythm and a groove and was really dominant the rest of the way. And, of course, the most important takeaway was all eight of his strideouts came via his ghost fork pitch, which showed up on the Marlins scoreboard as an unknown pitch. That's how foreign this thing is to baseball, where people don't really know that score baseball games. They don't know how to categorize it just yet. Uh, when you go back and you and you look at that first start for him, what really stood out to you about the guy that, you know, right behind Justin Verlander was the marquee signing for the Mets offseason. Well, it has to be just how quickly he was able to settle in after that rough first inning. I mean, there was a lot of concern, I think, from everybody that at one point during that first inning, um, you, you, you were probably sitting there saying to yourself, is he even going to make it through a, a full inning in his first start? And, you know, he kept battling through it, that through uh, 36 pitches. Now, the thing was, on the other side, 36 pitches from Trevor Rogers. Now those two getting ready to match up again today. That'll be interesting to see, you know, it's, if, if it's a, a little bit of the same. But that was the thing. When they have to go out and have a mound visit with the translator, everything like that, in the first inning, I think everybody was like, "My gosh, this is this is this is as concerning as it gets." I mean, we rarely see that with any other guys that are a part of this pitching staff, and I think you saw him bounce back and and put together what is probably the best start that we have seen from a Mets pitcher until yesterday, um, when Tyler McGill threw 
um, six scoreless innings and looked really good. So I think that's that's where you you kind of got to be at with him. I, look, I still think that there's going to be – there is going to be some time. Um, that it, It's going to be a, an adjustment period for him. Um, you know, to get used to, first of all, the way that this game is now, like everybody else is adjusting to the pitch clock, everything like that as well. But especially him being in a new country, um, you know, not, the language barrier, everything like that is going to be, was going to be tough enough. And the Mets are familiar with this. Um, they've done this. They actually, I, I think it was actually during his start the other day, Gary said that the Mets have the most players to ever come over from Japan and play in the major leagues. I, 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 I believe that was the stat that he was uh, he was saying. And look, I, I think that's, you know, that helps to have so much familiarity with doing that in the organization. Um, they know that that it's going to take time to adjust, and so I, I think that's going to allow for there to be some patience. But for Mets fans, there there really isn't much. So um, for him to be able to respond the way that he did after that first inning and to come out and and really throw a gem uh, was was impressive. Um, you know, again with with the ghost fork, uh, with you, you just how you know foreign that pitch is to everybody, it's going to take time for people to be able to adjust to that. Eventually, there will be teams that will be able to hit that pitch. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he can do outside of that pitch. But as of right now, I mean, you mentioned eight strikeouts with that pitch. And look, that's a pitch where you are never going to be able to throw that pitch the way that he throws it and strike someone out looking. So they're all swinging strikes. That's the thing that's going to be um, so interesting to watch with him is just how much he's going to have these guys swinging at that pitch. But the thing is also, he walked three guys. That's going to be another element of him really relying on that pitch a lot um, to get strikeouts, is that he is going to have moments where he's going to walk people because of that. So overall, I I feel real encouraged. It also helps that the guy that was in that role last year, Chris Bassett, got absolutely destroyed in his first game um, in – Toronto let up four home runs in. He got shelled again last night too. I mean, it's just it, it, it just brutal, brutal start to the season for him. So you have to feel pretty confident that Senga is going to be a little bit of an upgrade there moving forward. And I mean, who knows? Who knows how important he is going to be for the Mets if Max Scherzer isn't able to turn things around here quickly and and become that dominant pitcher that we're used to him being. The the thing for me with Senga is like, you know, of course, with last week being the, the opening the opening week of the of the season, of course there was excitement every time you cut the the game on. Um you know, we hung out, we watched the opening day together, and then you, you know, so that's that's the only Met game we've watched so far together this year. But like Sunday just felt different. Like I, I was I was giddy about watching him pitch. Uh, all day long, and you know, I feel I, that's going to be the same today when he takes the mound for the, his first time at City Field. Gary referenced on the broadcast. You you would imagine there's going to be a different buzz, a different uh, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a different electricity in the ballpark for it to be a mid afternoon game in April. Look and at the ovation that, he got yesterday. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's the thing for me is that like. 
as a Met fan, I'm just kind of excited to kind of wrap my arms around him and embrace him. You know, he 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 has that unique pitch, which is is always just going to be fun to just watch to see how hitters react to it. We saw Pete Alonso talk about it in spring training. He's like, I've been in baseball my entire life. I've never seen something someone do something like that with the baseball. And so, um, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, you know, I don't think he he's going to be as dominant as Matt Harvey was when he was the Dark Knight. But remember how remember how Matt Harvey just captivated the city. I mean, I I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility for Senga here if if he's really really good if he's consistently going out there and pitching six seven innings of of one run baseball and he's striking batters out the way that he is on that on that pitch like you know this is this is a a city that loves baseball this is a fan base that loves baseball it's a passionate fan base and you know so i feel like if he's out there and he's being the rock star that you envisioned him being when you signed him to a 5 year 75 million dollar contract it will be a lot of fun uh to kind of see how you know the the city of new york wraps wraps its arms around its foreign star kind of like the angels have out there with shohei otani who we all believe at some point will be a new york met as well because uncle stevie will be daddy warbucks and pay whatever it takes to get that talent in flushing so um i'm just excited like you know when he comes when when i watch him later today there will be a different excitement kind of in my belly watching him on the mound and um it, it's going to be a lot of fun just watching him grow and develop on the fly here in major league baseball um let's turn our attention back to milwaukee and we're not really going to Focus primarily on the first two games, even though, I mean, look, Carrasco and Max Scherzer both threw their own personal home run derbies. Um, and Brian Anderson was was hitting balls out of the park. It felt like left and right for the Brew Crew. And look, those losses were were frustrating and stuff in their own right. But whenever you, you drop the first two games of a series, you just at least want to go in there and salvage one so you don't get swept, especially with the Mets on the verge of coming back home. But that didn't happen. Finally, their bats break out. Pete Alonzo was doing everything he could to keep them in the game and gave them a chance to win the game. But the Mets would eventually lose 7-6 to six as they gave up a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. And this was something that, you know, Gary Keith or Gary and Keith really talked about extensively on the broadcast because, and we saw Buck do this at times last year where he would bring Diaz in in the eighth and have Ottavino or someone else pitch the ninth. And this year with no Diaz, David Robertson has filled the, the closing role for the Mets. And he went back to that same tactic, but he had him pitch to the bottom of the order. Then he brought Ottavino in, for the top when you go back and you look at at that decision and there were some other things that really played into, into the reason why the Mets lost the game and eventually got swept that series but was was that a critical managing stake committed by Buck Showalter that that took that, that that took away a chance for the Mets to salvage at least one win in Milwaukee I mean, yeah, I look, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's not a mistake where I'm sitting there saying, man, this shows that we just can't trust Buck moving forward. Um, it, it's one of those ones where, look, I, like you said, we saw him do this at times last year. And maybe, maybe the matchup's favorite. I don't know. They said on the broadcast that 
It really didn't just from what they initially looked at. But the problem was that Adovino had pitched the day before. Yeah. If he didn't pitch the day before, then, okay, we're probably having a different conversation. And if he lets up a long ball, it is what it is. Like, there's, we're, we're sitting here saying, yeah, well, you know, either way, it could have it been either one of them or whatever. It's just, this just wasn't our series. And that's part of it, too. The Mets are just horrendous in Milwaukee. I mean, it is unbelievable. They entered the series, what was it, three and sixteen in their last nineteen there? Yeah. <laughs> and it and and they get swept. Like it's just a place that they don't win. And that's where the new schedule moving forward, that's that's those are the types of issues that they have in certain ballparks. I don't know if there's any other ones that are that bad, but you have to be able to shake those off. And they weren't able to do that in this series. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. That's probably the most frustrating of the two because you you scored six runs. That was after you know there was probably some concern for just about everybody like like us that this offense was maybe going to be you know starting slight slow like they did um, you know at, at times last year. It looked like they were stuck in one of those stretches again where it was going to take them a little bit for those bats to wake back up. And then when they do, you know, roar to life in that third game of the series, uh, Lindor was fantastic in that game as well. Um, you know, you thought, okay, we're going to be able to get enough pitching where we're going to find a way to win this game. And to not, I mean, that one was just, that. It, it's just mind-blowing. But it's this is the thing. That series, and it it carried over a little bit into yesterday's game, although not as bad. The biggest issue they're having is the amount of guys they're leaving on base, especially early in games. Yeah, That was the biggest thing against Milwaukee. Both of the games that they were shut out in, they had opportunities early in the game to score runs, and they didn't, and it set them back. And once they started letting up runs, the bats went silent, and there was no way for them to be able to compete. Now, you can't allow as many runs as you did, by any stretch, but it's still something that, you know, you need this offense to show up, especially right now. Like, that is the healthiest part of this team. Even even with the injury to Narvaez, you're still you're, – you're bringing up the top prospect in all Major League Baseball. So nobody's going to feel sorry for you on that front. Um, but you're pitching. I mean, we don't know it, it, when Verlander is going to be able to return. You lost Jose Quintana. So you you have to pick your team up. And then especially without having your closer, Edwin Diaz, to lock things down, it's not even that you don't have him in the late innings. It's the fact that you don't have him, meaning that your bullpen at the back end has guys that probably wouldn't be up in the majors if Edwin Diaz was active. So that's the thing that at this point, you know, the the Mets, it's it's got to be the mindset of we have to be a team that can be more consistent with the bats moving forward. Because if we're not going to score runs, then we're not going to win a lot of these games because our starting pitching right now doesn't look great. So hopefully that's that's what they took away from that series against Milwaukee. And hopefully Buck, you know, sort of learns that, look, I, maybe pitching a guy like Adovino back-to-back, especially, you know, having him switch the roles that he's in, in that back-to-back, probably not the smartest thing to do. 
Yeah, because I I don't feel like, of course, this hasn't been you know an outwardly message from Buck or any one of the Mets organization. I don't feel like they're trying to decide who's the closer and who's not. Like, I don't think it was them putting Adovino in that situation to see, you know, could they maybe kind of have dual closers and flip-flop Robertson and Adovino. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think this was just a decision that was made for – for whatever reason, um, it didn't make it didn't make a whole lot of sense, and it, it it backfired. And you know, with that, there was some frustrations. I know I was pretty frustrated just simply because I wanted to get one win out of that series, and you know, I, I just felt like it didn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. But you know, again, it was the first week of the year. It, it it's it's really hard to kind of overreact. But and, and we'll transition out into just some general talking points. You know, we do have eight games in, in the books, and you've seen some good pitching from the Mets. You've seen Kodai Singa look really good in one start. Tyler McGill yesterday, six scoreless innings. Um in 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 the home opener, he's now six and oh in his seven starts in April as a New York Met, but you know, you look at Max Scherzer, who gave up five runs on five and a third innings in the nine nothing defeat against Milwaukee. Of course, he gave up a three run home run on opening day to allow the Marlins to tie the game. He's got a six point three five ERA. And then you go to Carlos Carrasco, who you know, he gave up five runs in his first start in the ten nothing loss to the Brewers. His ERA sits at eleven point two five. When you look at just the Mets starting pitching, like I think with I think it's safe to say that with Peterson and with McGill, for the most part, because they weren't supposed to be a part of the you know rotation rotation, it's okay for them to have up and down performances. But when you've seen Scherzer, who right now is the healthy ace of the crew, and then Carrasco, a guy who won double-digit games a year ago, already get roughed up in starts, how concerned are you about the the state of the Mets pitching staff after eight games so far in 2023? Well, yeah, I mean, the start, the, the starting rotation I'm pretty concerned about. At this yep, point. so am I. Because, I mean, Carrasco, this is this – is, basically a carryover from what we saw from him in spring training. He really struggled in the spring, and I was hoping that was something that wouldn't carry over. I, I really thought that he would be a guy that would be able to shake that off and just kind of go back to work from where he was a year ago. And, I mean, the thing is, is, like, you're not just talking about a guy that, you know, was even around 500 a year ago. He won 15 games. He was 15-7 and seven last year. He was a key part of what your of what you were able to do and why you were so successful a year ago as a starting pitching staff. And I'm hoping that he's going to be able to shake that off, but I'm not really sure. And the thing was, is if he went through a stretch like that, the thought was, okay, you have David Peterson, you have Tyler mm-hmm. McGill that can slide in there and sort of take that spot from him for the time being, let him, you know, go down and get himself maybe, you know, readjusted. And then once he comes back up, he's ready to go. And that doesn't look to be the case. Um, you know, that, that as of right now, probably at all this year, I don't know if they're going to be at a point with, with Quintana uh, being out, if they are going to be able to, 
send him down if they need to. Or, you know, even just, you know, have it where they, they run with a six-man rotation to try to give him more time in between uh, each start. You, you need to see him start to become a little more like the guy we saw last year. And then the one that's the most concerning to me, though, is Scherzer. Yep. I don't really – I mean, and this is this is the thing. He could say all he wants that the pitch clock – is not affecting him, that he is going to be able to work quick. Well, so far, the results are not looking great. You have really struggled so far. Um, you know, you've allowed four home runs, which is unreal. I mean, the rest of the starting pitching staff has allowed that combined. So, I, I mean, it, that that is the thing that right now probably gives me the most anxiety about this pitching staff. Because I think I think Verlander, when he comes back, is going to be perfectly fine. Yeah, he's he is just a different beast. That dude is a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. If you're being honest, he's probably the best pitcher of this entire generation. Kate Upton has superpowers. I mean, he is he is just he is just that good. By the way, did you see she was at the game yesterday? Oh, I saw the dudes who were behind her in the picture. Um, could you be any more obvious, fellas? I mean, and let's this just come from me. I mean, not like, a guy that has a lot of subtlety to him. You got to be a little less obvious, especially with someone like her, who you know could be having a picture taken of her at any time. You look creepy. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, it's just with Scherzer, we saw this from him late last year. So to think that. He's automatically going to be able to shake this off. I, I just, I just don't know. And I mean, with Carrasco, there were moments during the game the other day where I wasn't really that concerned with Carrasco. I thought, okay, he he, he had a good inning there. I don't. There, there hasn't really been many innings like that for Scherzer so far this year. And maybe it's because I'm I'm expecting so much out of him because he is the ace of the staff. Every it, it feels like just about every inning, there's always something that you look at with Scherzer and say, "Man, that doesn't seem right." So I, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope that he's able to shake this off and get himself back on track. I feel like he is, but I mean, the longer that he continues to struggle early in the year without Verlander here the tougher it's going to be for the Mets to find ways to stack up some wins here early on. And that's concerning because you cannot wait until Verlander comes back to start winning games at a consistent rate. It helps you right now that your schedule isn't all that difficult, but you're getting ready to go out to the West Coast. And, I mean, look, you play the A's out there, you should beat them. You you should honestly probably sweep them. The A's suck. But – that you know the rest of your road trip is going to be a little difficult, and then, I mean, you see, you, you you can't just get off to that slow of a start. Although, who knows? I said this to you the other day. You look at the teams that have represented the NL in the World Series the last three years; they're all in this division, and they all got off to unbelievably slow starts to the year, uh, and then pretty much turned it around right at the halfway point. So maybe that's the recipe for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing for me when I look at Scherzer, like the the long ball is concerning. Um, It was his biggest issue last year at times where he, you know, you go back 
to the playoff series against the Padres and and stuff like that. Maybe now maybe I'm exaggerating. The the start the the start on opening day against Miami felt Degrom esque a year ago, where it was like he just hit a wall, where it was like you know he cruised through five, and then he got to a he got to the sixth, and his body was just done. That's where Jake was a year ago. You know, remember he was was he perfect against Atlanta? I believe it was, and he gave up a home run in the top of the sixth in one of his starts. Wasn't it, it like felt- three straight games or something where he gave up? a home run in the sixth inning, and that was kind of the the symbolization of he's pitched great, but his day's over. Yeah, like, you know, so, like, that was kind of the thing that stood out to me. Like, with Milwaukee, you know, for for that that place to be indoors and stuff like that, um, that ball carries, and it, it's, it's, it's a hitter's ballpark. It's But, like, for me, the, the long ball is concerning, but I just wonder, like, do we got to manage him – Kind of like we had the point with Degrom, where it's like if you get us through five, if you, I mean, like if 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 you can get through six, great. But after that, man, you're done. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like he's 38 years old. Like you know, like you, the body is going to be at a point where it can't do what it used to do. And I'm right, and, I, and I'm with you. He can sit here and tell me over and over again till he's blue in the face. This new clock doesn't uh, doesn't impact him. Yeah, you're 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 full of crap. You're lying. Because you've spent the last 15 years being a Hall of Fame pitcher working at your own pace. And now because Rod Manfred sucks and he wants to ruin baseball, you've got to pitch a whole lot faster. You haven't adjusted all that well to it. And guess what, buddy? That's fine. Just tell us. Like, just say, look, I'm having a hard I'm having a harder time adjusting to the fact that I've got to move at a pace that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And no one, no one's going to complain. All it's going to do is just ramp up the complaining that people are doing that that, that look at what Rob Manfred's done to baseball and said you've made the game uh, uh, worse. You haven't you while, while you've improved the average and and steals are up and stuff like that. You've also taken out a lot of things that makes baseball the sport that it is, which is the mental component. And I think he is struggling with that. I do think over time he'll adjust because he's just he's too damn good not to. But I mean, if we come back here in May and his ERAs, you know, over three point five, and he's still giving up home runs, then I do think we'll have to have an honest conversation about him. Um, Tyler McGill. Every time I think Big Drip walks onto the mound, he just for the most part I come away impressed. Because he just goes out there, and I feel like every time he gives us a, a chance to win to win games. And right now the Mets need that because you don't have Verlander. You don't have Quintana. You know, and Scherzer is struggling. Peterson, what we've seen from Peterson so far is what he's been really since the COVID year, which is he's going to pitch really, really good one day, and then, then five days later he's going to pitch so-so. Um, and then with Carrasco, I think, you know, I think in the back of our heads, what we've seen from Carrasco, I think, was always just, you know, on the table as as being possible, given his age, given all the stuff he's battled off the diamond, going through cancer and stuff like that. So, you know, the Mets pitching staff, its starters has some questions, which leads us to the bullpen. And I think you've seen 
some really good things. And then I think you've seen some things that really make you raise your eyebrow and, and really question, you know, what's the direction, what's the future of the bullpen. You know, you, you've gotten some good things um, from different guys. You know, I, I think Drew Smith has looked better than he did uh, at this time a year ago. Um, you know, then you had Santana, who yesterday I thought looked really, really good until he walked two batters and gave up a three-run home run that, at the point, changed the entire complexion of the ball game. When you look at the Mets' bullpen, what has stood out to you so far through through its first week or so of the season? Well, I mean, yeah, for the most part, I mean, as you said, I think you feel pretty good about where a lot of the guys are at. I mean, Drew Smith, eh, I mean, I I think he's kind of been up and down so far this year where I felt like there was a point. um, I mean, 2021 was was his best year. Uh, That was where you really thought he was going to be a foundational piece in that bullpen. And then last year, of course, he gets hurt. So I think he's still trying to sort of figure some things out a little bit. But, I mean, he's still been pretty good so far to start the year. Um, Adovino, I think, has been has been fine. You know, he lets up the home run. But, I mean, that's going to happen. And that was, as we mentioned, a tough spot for him, having to come in in a back-to-back. Um, I've, I've liked what we've seen from David Robertson so far. Pretty much exactly what we thought we were going to see from him. He only has – the one save, but he's only had the one save opportunity. So he hasn't blown one yet. So I think he's, he's fine. The the guys I've been impressed with are first, John Curtis, a guy that I don't think a lot of Mets fans were very happy was going to be a part of this roster um, until he he sounds like a Met reliever, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Two S's at the end of the name too. hundred (laughs) percent. Um, but I think a lot of people were kind of like our guy, Willie P, who was – they were just like, why are we wasting our time on this guy? Um, because he was a dude that, you know, even last year when we talked about him, the Mets were kind of taking a risk on him. He wasn't exactly, you know, at the best point in his career. The Mets just kind of took a flyer and said, look, can we get this guy to pitch, you know, consistently for us? And I think so far early in the year, he, he's pitched pretty well. Now, he gives you the type of feel of somebody that at some point during the year, he might be a guy that starts to struggle and you have to navigate through that. But at least you're getting him off to a good start. Dennis Santana could be – sort of similar to that. I mean, I know, you know, if you just look at that ERA and you didn't watch what this team has done so far, that's why when it comes to looking at box scores, I think more than just about any sport, baseball is incredibly flawed. Like, he, I think outside of the home run that he lets up yesterday, I mean, he had the two walks and everything, but here's the thing. If that's a law, if that's a deep fly ball that Nimmo catches, what are we talking about here today? We're talking about a dude that hasn't allowed a run so far this year. Well, no, that, that, that's a really good point. Also, can we blame Keith Hernandez for the home run? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I he, could not believe when he went, when I knew it too. I knew right after he said that when that ball was hit, I was like, Oh yeah, that thing's gone because of that. Oh yeah. Like, sure I, I was, I was, I was driving home. So I'm like, watch, like I'm half watching, but I'm more listening to the game. And Keith goes, you don't need to be walking, you know, uh, batters in a six nothing ball game because if he hits a home run, it's six three. Yep. And, and he hits it, and I literally go, are you effing kidding me? Like, is is this really happening right now? So yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Like, like if if that's a long out, 
we're sitting here saying this is a guy that, again, the Mets got on waivers and looks like a pretty good pickup, but because he gives it a home run, you know, in that situation, I'm over here saying maybe there's cause to be concerned. But uh, him, I'm not oh, as – I don't think as, there's uh, a cause. I'm not as concerned about. I Yeah, I'm not – I I don't think you can be concerned with him. I think right now with him, you just have to know, like, he, he's – He's one of those guys that is in your bullpen. He, he looks like he's a guy that you might have hit on early in the season, and he's going to work out for you for a little bit. He's someone that you know at some point in the season, just like I said with Curtis, there's going to be a point where he's going to struggle. Yeah. And you need other guys to be playing or to be pitching at their best during that time. Um, the go six, I mean, been it's solid. We haven't seen him a whole lot. Um, we only saw him in the one game. And, I mean, even Denny Reyes, you know, he came in yesterday and um, looked looked all right. You know, I, I mean, it's still early in the year. He's only pitched, a, you know, an inning and two-thirds. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of where you're at. The, the guy that's concerning to me the most is is Brooks Raleigh. Um, or Raleigh, excuse me. Um, you know, he he's just – He's been up and down. He's allowed the most hits of anybody in the bullpen, not named Tommy Hunter, who as of right now is not even a part of the bullpen. Um, Thank God. Because of the injuries. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Hunter, I think that's just <laughs> – it is what it is. I mean, he had one rough outing, but again, he, he's an he's an end of the bullpen guy if we've seen one. He's a dude that's Tommy going Hunter to toggle no – Hunter. He's going to toggle that line of – MLB AAA guy. Like, it's just – it is what it is. He's going to have moments – like, when he – I'm going to tell you right now, when he comes off the 15-day IL, he would not be in the majors. That's yeah. that's just me. I would have him down in the minors and let him pitch down there, unless Denny Reyes is struggling just that badly. Um, so, I mean, that's but, – but with Rayleigh, that that wasn't what he was brought in here to do. They, they expected that he was going to be a big part of, you know, this bullpen this year, and he's allowed two home runs already, four runs overall. Um, It's just, you know, he's off to a slow start, and and you're hoping that he can find a little bit of a grip here because he is your lefty out of the bullpen. You you can't send him down. You don't have anybody else, and you need that. You you need to have a left-handed reliever in your bullpen. So that's, that's what's concerning to me right now. Um, in that bullpen. I think everybody else, you know, has been rather solid. Um, and I, I think there's there's reasons to be excited about what certain guys have done. But, you know, that's the thing with this Mets bullpen. A day like yesterday, you know, can sort of take those good vibes away because now, like you said, and this is the probably how a lot of people feel, they worry about, you know, Dennis Santana. Is he going to be a guy that can bounce back from that? Or – is this, you know, is this going to sort of send him into a little bit of a spiral? We just have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I, I'm really hoping that Brooks Rayleigh can rally behind what's been a, a slow start for him because we need that lefty out of the bullpen. Um, I want to make a motion that on the pod we just call him Brooks Rally. Yeah, it, yeah, we spent a whole episode calling him that, and then it turns out that's not even how you actually say his name. I mean, it just really broke my heart when Gary called him Brooks Raley. I was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, Raleigh just sounds like a great guy to bring out of the bullpen, by the way. Yeah, well, he's let up a lot, a, a lot of rallies here so far. So, unfortunately, 
Um, by the way, best bullpen pitcher that we've seen so far this year, uh, Luis Guillorme was absolutely fantastic in the first game of the series against the Brewers. He was. And, you know, <laughs> the more, you know, and, and because, again, Rob Manfred ha- uh, hates baseball, you're going to see less and less of that across the majors this season. Um, so I, I, it was it was good to see him, you know, on the pitching mound. I prefer him to see every, ba- every day at third base because Eduardo Escobar is lost at the plate. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Um, one last thing on the pitching, Justin Verlander did uh, is expected to return by the end of the month. And then, you know, we'll have to really go through, uh, you know, the month of May to really evaluate um, kind of what the Mets pitching staff from from the starting rotation looks like. But also feel like, you know, once he's in there, you know, I, I think that's another day where, you know, you're going to get six innings out of him, maybe seven and that type of stuff does help your bullpens when you have guys like him, hopefully Max Scherzer, and maybe even Singa rounds into the type of form where you know you're getting six innings from at least three of your five starters every day when they go out onto the mound. So now let's talk about Eduardo Escobar, who's batting a beautiful .083 as he's 2 of 24 at the plate. With eight strikeouts. And, man, when we got ready for the start of the season, we just really expressed our frustration with, you know, uh, Brett Beatty and then Mark Vientos not being on the opening day roster. And Eduardo Escobar, who, uh, let's just say what it is, flat out sucked all spring, um, was going to be the Mets' everyday third baseman outside of when they put Guillaume or whoever may be over there at third base. So now that we've seen a week's worth of data and a week's worth of games of Escobar, you know, at the plate, his glove is still fine. He's still a really good defensive third baseman. But now that we've seen, um, you know, eight, eight games uh, of data of him at the plate, was our was our frustrations justified with Beatty not being on the opening day roster for the Mets? 100%. Yep. Yeah. And anybody that argues that, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh you know, the thing that sucks for, for Beatty right now is that he's banged up. And so I don't really know if the thumb surgery went into that decision. Um, I don't really, if it did, I don't really get it. I got to be honest, because why would you just not have him start up with the major league team? Because either way, he's going to have an injury risk. Um, but it is something that has to be questioned. <laughs> I think at this point, I think it's. I think you're right. I think we need to see more of Luis Guillorme for right now, um, because you're not you're not losing Escobar's glove over there. I mean, he look he made some he made some nice plays yesterday. There is no doubt about that. He deserves a lot of credit for that. But I mean, when you are just at this point a complete liability at the plate. I mean, it's it's hurting this team. We know that Beatty is a guy that's capable of being a good defensive third baseman. He was working with David Wright in the offseason. And so far this year, I mean, he got off to an outstanding start in the minors yeah. um, with, with Syracuse. You know, he was hitting 400. His OPS was uh, over 1,300. Like, th- you can't really – you can't really have much a much better start for him. And, I mean, he was even hitting the long ball. Um, two homers, five RBIs. Like, that's a pretty good start for a guy that isn't exactly known for being a power hitter. But 
he did that in the first four games of Syracuse's season. And then he gets banged up. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that's so concerning to me right now is the way that he's playing. Um, you know, the, it, it's the same it, – honestly, it's the same guys that are struggling out of the gate that, you know, we're, we were concerned about coming into the season. You know, he's struggling. Vogelbach's not off to the greatest start. Um, and then – you know, you're with with Mark Hanna. I mean, that's that's one. I don't know if we knew we thought he was going to struggle the way that he has, but that's that. Those are the guys that you really need to be more consistent for you if you are going to be a great team. Because we know that Pete Alonso is going to hit the ball. We know that Francisco Lindor is going to hit for average, and we know you know eventually Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nemo, those guys. Their averages will be pretty high. They are smart players. They will get on base. But you need those other guys. And Starling Marte is also in there with that group. I mean, he he got off to a really hot start. He slowed down here a little bit since that first series against the Marlins. But still, um, but but those other guys, those other three guys are really the keys to this offense being one of the best in the NL, which is where the Mets really need that group to be if they're going to get where we ultimately want to go, which is to win the World Series. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's concerning. I mean, Escobar, the thing that's frustrating is that you know you have a guy that could come up and take his place uh, to a certain extent. You know that with, with Vogelbach and really just the DH spot altogether because you feel pretty confident that that's a role that Mark Vientos can handle. Um, and the thing is, is that every one of those guys is off to a really strong start in the minors. It's not like one of those guys, ah, oh, they're really not hitting the ball well early. No, literally every one of those guys is off to a great start to the season. And you're trying to stick with the old heads. At some point, I think you you've got to just look and say, look, we 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 like the veteran presence that those guys bring, but the younger guys are playing better, so we have to play them at some point. I mean, my problem with Escobar is that I just like you said, he's a complete liability at the plate. Does Luis Guillorme offer the power that Escobar has? No, but he, he's a contact hitter. And what is the one thing the Mets have struggled to do so far this this season is get runners across when they get them on on base. And, you know, and a lot of those outs have come with Escobar at the plate. And it just feels like with, with Guillaume, I you know, I guess they're they're evenly as, as in terms of defenders. Um, you know, the thing about Guillaume is you could play him at, at – Play him at third. You we've seen him at second base. You can move him around. He's got an elite glove. He's got an elite arm. Yeah, he's a utility guy. You know, he just offers more at the plate right now. And you know, with Beatty a little bit banged up, it feels like it's going to be maybe a week or two before even calling him up really becomes an you know an option. I I, I just feel like you know you're you're not. You're not doing him a favor, in my opinion, just putting him out there. And, you know, they, they got the unscheduled off day, you know, on Thursday, not a whole lot more, for, you know. And, and so I just want to, you know, it, it took him three and a half months last year to get going. And he got hot on a West Coast trip. They came back east, and he really never got hot again. I think at this point he's just a lost cause at the plate. And – 
you you can find other guys I think that can feel just as good as he can field and and really offer you more when they step into the batter's box, which brings us to the last conversation point on today's edition, which is the number one prospect in baseball. Francisco Alvarez, he got the call up with Omar Narvaez, uh, set to miss the Met the next eight to nine, eight to nine weeks. And the first change about uh, Alvarez is last year when he got called up, he was wearing the number 50. This year, he's wearing the number four. Um, and Met legends Wilmer Flores and Patrick Mazika have both worn the number four in years past. So with that in mind, with this guy being the number one prospect in all of baseball, the Mets have been, you know, really starved for a consistent everyday catcher, both behind the plate and at the bat for what feels like the last, you know, five years at the minimum. What are reasonable expectations for him knowing that there is an adjustment period for him whenever he he takes a step up in, in, in the level of competition, whether it's from single A to double A, double A to triple A, and now triple A to the majors. Well, the thing is, first of all, is look at the different guys that are in this rotation for the Mets that he is going to have to learn how to catch. It's going to take him time. So you're going to see a lot of Tomas Nito. And there's going to be a lot of frustration. People are going to say, why are we not seeing the younger guy? Why do we keep playing Nito? But it's it's going to take patience with this, especially because, I mean, how often has he caught Senga? That, that's a guy that you have to have somebody that's familiar with that pitch. Look at how much trouble Nito had the other day behind the plate with him. Yep. So that's the thing is you've got to get – you got to give him time to get comfortable with all the different types of pitchers that he is going to be working with. Um, the good news for him is that he has more experience than Narvaez or Nito did with the pitch clock. That's not foreign to him. He had to play with it all of last year. So that'll be interesting to see if that allows him to get out there more. And then at the plate, look, everywhere he's gone, um, especially, you know, the last two levels, AAA and now in the majors, he struggled early when he gets there. He doesn't hit the ball great right out of the gate. Um, there was a time, you know, in AAA last year, he was hitting 110 mm-hmm. early, you know, early in his tenure up there when we went and saw him when he came here to Charlotte. Um, he wasn't hitting the ball great. But he eventually sort of finds his way, and that's what I thought. I was hoping that we would get to a point where – you would be able to call him up, let him work through some things, and you had three catchers maybe available um, that, you know, it, it would allow him to settle into a rhythm. I thought it'd be later in the season, but now he's being forced into, you know, that role earlier on. Look, he's a he, he is an extremely talented young player, so there's no reason to be super concerned about him overall. I think he'll be perfectly fine. But the thing that, Mets fans have to realize is that this isn't going to be a guy that's going to come up. I mean, he's got a little bit of power to him. Um, there's no there's no doubt about that. But you can't expect that this is going to be a dude that's just going to come out and absolutely destroy the major the, the major league level. Maybe he does. Maybe this is like we've seen with some of the guys that the Dodgers call up, that the Braves have called up in in the last couple of years, where he's a guy that was in the minors, um, highly rated prospect. He comes up and he never even thinks about going back down. But 
I think the more realistic hope here is that he comes in, he's able to learn um, behind Nito. And if he does end up having to go back down, you've gotten him some good experience and you feel like when you call him up the next time that he may at least be able to, you know, get himself going a little bit more at the plate um, earlier, as opposed to, uh, you know, him having to go through once again, you know, coming up to a different level um, and all that kind of stuff. I think the most reasonable expectation for him is to put himself in a position that even when Narvaez comes back from injury, he doesn't get set back. He, he doesn't get sent back down. And he becomes this team's DH. Um, that would be great. And maybe maybe they they utilize a three you know a a, a, a three catcher system. But I, I think for him right now, you know, look. I, you, you brought up a great point. Um, you're going to see a lot of Tomas Nito because of how veteran this this pitching staff is. Um, you, we know that Scherzer wants a, a a guy that's been around back there calling the game for him. Verlander is going to be the same way. Singa, it's just all they're all going to be a work in progress with him. Um, so maybe he's the guy that catches the Tyler McGill's, the David Peterson's, the Carlo Carrasco starts. But I think right now this is a Met offense that is still in need of another bat. We said that all offseason. That was, you know, Willie P's main gripe, even though that's all he ever does is gripe and complain. That was his main gripe about the offseason. And I told him all along that I think the hope internally was that there was Alvarez. I don't think this was the way he wanted to find it was with Narvaez getting hurt. But I think that's the most reasonable expectation for him is that he puts himself in a position where he becomes the type of hitter you you need your DH to be. That when Nar- when when Narvaez comes back from injury, Alvarez is still on the roster, and they're making they're making a, a decision about somebody else, and, and he can stay up in the majors and be a big part of an offense that, like you said, the expectation is that it's among the best in the NL and. Right now, with the way the pitching has been, it needs to be among the best in the NL. The Mets want to to win games and win games at the type of, of pace um, that 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 the roster and the payroll would justify. So um, it'll be, it, it's going to be exciting watching him grow and mature at the big league level because he is a talented player. You cannot deny that. Um, I, I think you know Buck Showalter said the best case scenario was that he'd be in Triple A ball all year long, and it took less than really a full week of the regular season for best case scenario to go out the window as the injuries have just really hit this Mets this Mets roster in a multitude of different ways. Uh, so um, with that though. That is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. We did have a lot of fun today talking about the first the first uh, takeaways of the first week of the regular season, and we will be back throughout the, the throughout the remainder of the season talking Mets talking Mets baseball as they continue on their way through the 2023 campaign. In the meantime, guys, we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. Most notably, we're on Apple and Spotify. So go there, 
rate the podcast, leave a review, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. But most importantly, guys, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the baseball season. Well, with that, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do want to thank Anthony once again for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, let's go Mets.